Well, let me be just another that says Happy Easter to you. Um, this week, uh, my youngest, I got to go to Gold Camp for fourth grade. And so we went up on a day trip to Sutter's uh, Mill. Got to go right there, right where the gold was found, and we camped out. Um, but on the way, um, there was a two-hour debate with 10-year-old boys over who's going to win in the next Marvel movie and who is best to beat and who's the best superhero and who could take on Thanos. And after listening for almost two hours, I couldn't take it anymore. So I interjected and said, guys, it all comes down to this. Mighty Mouse would take them all out and that's just the way that it goes. Which blank stares came back at me. And for those of you that don't know who Mighty Mouse is, you're part of the problem today. Um, and I realize that there's a crowd that is right now that is texting and looking up Mighty Mouse and is going to mess the next few minutes of my message. God bless you. Um, but I still think he'd win. Uh, so um, I get to spend some time with you. I want to say to you that today's uh, message uh, is on you version. If you have the app, you go down to where it says events and you will find all the scriptures for today. If you do not have the Version app, we are strongly encouraging you to download that app by April 27th and get familiar with it. We will be using it significantly as a part of our new series that will be starting up. So if you have not do, uh, downloaded the Version app, we do encourage you to do so. But again, today's uh, stuff is already there for you. So... Today, I get to talk to you about empty, um, that he is not here. And we are going to be looking at this and breaking down this concept um, of the empty tomb. That video that, um, that you just watched uh, speaks to the fact that um, who puts an empty milk carton back in the fridge? Okay, this guy does. But listen... The concept is it's just too hard to put in the trash. But, but um, it is interesting how we do feel empty and how the girl could feel in the middle of a crowd alone. And there is this thing about empty. There is this thing where emptiness has for us this sense of, of yes, lacking until you get to the empty tomb. The empty tomb, by its very nature, is meant to bring fullness, and we'll get to that. The verse that that video ended it with is Matthew 28, 6. He is not here. Someone say amen to that. See, what's happening is, is that they've come looking and he goes, look, he is not here, for he has risen. And I love this next line, as he said. See, the thing is, it's not just that he is risen, that he's not there. It is as he said. There, it is interesting as you read the New Testament, not once, not twice, but over and over and over again, Jesus said exactly what would happen to him in detail, said what would take place. And yet those closest to him could not fathom it, could not put it in its rightful place. I'll show you. This is Mark chapter 10, 32 to 34. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. 
And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, you're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. I don't know if Jesus could have been more succinct in saying what was going to happen, that it would be the Jews that would hand him over to the Gentiles and that they would mock him, spit on him, kill him. But he says, and after three days, he will rise. And so we get to this where honestly, just after this, it's kind of a, yeah, yeah, Jesus, which one of us gets to sit on the right and the left in your kingdom? They, they just did not have the place to understand, although he was very, very clear that at the end of this, there would be an empty tomb. At the end of this whole story, that it would all come down to this idea of the empty tomb. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. By the way, prophesy, proclaim, told, and happened. Come see the place where he lay. Come see the place where he lay. I mean, come see where they had laid his body, but he's here no more. I want to draw your attention to what's on the stage behind me. Brett did a phenomenal job. Brett, by the way, built that for us. It is the place where they would have laid Jesus' body. And what I love about it is that, again, see, there's nothing there. But Brett wants you to also know that the ribbons behind represent the tearing of the veil. Because when he died, his death opened up the veil between that has separated God and us, and it's his blood that gives us hope. And so I'm just so impressed by what Brett has done because we come in, it's like we're getting to look into, stoop down, look into the tomb and see he's not here. He is risen just as he said. And we can see the emptiness of that tomb. So, we come today because of this moment. See, the thing is, is that, see, Jesus wants us to understand that if we feel empty, he wants us to be full. In John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, it says, The thief comes to only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. See, the thing is, Jesus doesn't want you just to have a miserable life. He wants you to have a full life. He wants you to have a life that has in it what you are looking for. He says, yeah, the thief comes in to destroy, but I want you to have life and have it to the full. And what is fullness? The world would tell you what fullness is. Oh, if you just have this stuff, if you have this thing, if you have this next thing, it goes down. If you have this spouse, if you have this job, if you have this degree. And yet, I have met people that if you took them through and said, okay, here's all the boxes you got to tick. Here it is. You went to school. You found the spouse. You got the job. You got the car. You got the promotion. You have the kids. You sent them to college. If you just check, 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 check. And yet I talk to them and I hear emptiness. 
because those things were not meant to be what fills us. That's not how God created us. It is great to be good at what you do. It is great to find a spouse that you love. It is awesome to love your kids well, but none of those things are meant to give you that sense of fullness. Fullness comes from him, and then from that we get to have access to that job, that spouse, those kids, that career. What I love about this, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But in the very next line, he explains something powerful. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, the thing is, as a sheep, I have a shepherd who loves me so much, who will take care of my needs, will watch over me, protect me, and even lay down his life for me that I would have fullness. So we come. We come to this place and saying, look, we want to have this sense that, hey, there is an empty tomb. And that's what I was really struggling with. I put this message together. How do we see the empty tomb which brings fullness to us? How do I see the empty tomb which brings fullness to me? I want to share something with you. The empty tomb, by the way, is the most significant moment. I'm going to tell you right now something that you need to understand. The empty tomb is everything I, let, I hang my, my whole life on. Everything. Everything. I've talked to people, and they want to debate uh, whether there was an ark for Noah, whether there was a parting of the Red Sea, whether there was a virgin birth, whether or not Scripture is inerrant, all those things. And I want to tell them, no, 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 you're missing it. The Scriptures tell you the one and only place you got to go to. If you can unravel this one thing, everything else that we do unravels as well. So don't waste your time on all the other stuff. If you want to attack Christianity, if you want to come at it, the scripture tells you the one place to go. Paul speaks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection from the dead, if there is nothing that really has changed this, then all that we're doing, all that we speak about, all that we are about, it's all in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. He's going, look, he goes, not only is it there's no resurrection, but we have made God look back because we've told him, no, it was God who did the power of raising Jesus. And all that would be a lie. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So I tell people, if you want to attack something, go here. This is the linchpin. This is what holds everything together. The reason why Easter Sunday is so significant to us Christians is it's because of this moment. We can have Christmas, we can have Jesus, baby Jesus, in a manger. But if this does not happen, none of that stuff matters. They're going, Jeff, but, but shouldn't we just have good lives? Let me say this. I will quote Matt Chandler who says, if Christianity is a hobby, it is a stupid hobby. It really is. 
to get up and come in and try to act a certain way, if there is no resurrection from the dead, if it doesn't do what it says, it's a stupid hobby. Because in the process is that we honestly, well, let, let me let the Bible speak to it. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, look, if in Christ, how I live in the years that God has given me on this earth, because if there is no resurrection, I don't go to eternity. If there is no resurrection, I don't have time with him afterwards. If all I'm doing is living out a Christian life in the years that God has given me now, listen, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because we're wasting our time. We're wasting our energy, and we're wasting our resources, and we're wasting all these things on something that does not matter. I'll even challenge you more. If Jesus Christ does not raise from the dead, and you go back and listen to the teaching of Jesus, everything Jesus taught hinged on the fact that he was going to raise from the dead. Because the things that he said were done in the power of his name and what he was about and what he was going to do. If he doesn't raise from the dead, a lot of things that he talks about, turn the other cheek, makes no sense. Go the extra mile. Take up your cross. All these things that we as Christians hold on to just become deflated. Folks, everything comes to an empty tomb. Everything comes to an empty tomb. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Now Paul's not there, done there. He goes through and read, does a lot more, but he jumped down to verse 32. He says this, and this just puts a stamp on everything he's talking about. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, because Paul goes, if Christ hasn't raised from the dead, I wasn't helped, I wasn't encouraged, this is me and my own strength and my own power. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, party it up. Go get all that this world has to offer. But the reality is there's an empty tomb. The beauty of what Brett has made is that, listen, there's nothing on it. That's the beauty of what was created. We don't go to the place to go, oh, look, let's go see the burial site of Jesus. We don't even know what the burial site of Jesus is. We'll talk about that later. But I'm telling you that in that process, the empty tomb becomes this moment that is so incredible for us because, listen, but if he has raised from the dead, then everything he did preach is true, everything he stood for, and by the way, it should affect how we live tomorrow. It should affect what we do. It should affect how I see eternity, and we will start to unpack that. By the way, we know that some of you are here, you better guess, and you're trying to figure some of these things out. Some of the things that I'm talking about, the question of, again, could there have been a resurrection, is answered in this little book called um, The Case for Easter. It was written by a guy named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel made a book called The Case for Christ. How it started off was Lee Strobel was a journalist that said, I'm going to take my journalistic mind and I'm going to disprove Christianity. In his attempt to disprove Christianity, he became a Christian. 
in that, he then wrote the book called The Case for Christ. Excellent book. But specifically for Easter, he then tackles specifically what happens on Easter. We have copies of these back at our table. If you have questions and just want to read through a very simple book that will give you some of those facts, you can grab one of those on the way out. We just wanted you to have this so that you're not just hearing me and saying, oh, the pastor just said that. We have someone who's done the research and it's back there and you may take one of these. Now, let's go to the tomb. Let's go to this place. Let's go to this moment. Because remember, he said, as we talked about, this was going to happen. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 23. We end up, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So here's what happens. She gets up early. She wants to go finish finish the burial rites of Jesus. She walks up the tomb, most likely with all of her supplies. When she gets there, the stones have been rolled away. Her first assumption is they've stolen his body. First assumption was he's gone. So what does she do? So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, to the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. See, her first thought was someone has interfered, has opened the tomb and has grabbed his body out. Because again, her brain cannot conceive a God that would truly raise from the dead. She saw him on the cross. She saw what happened to him. She was one there, by the way, looking at what happened when he said, it is finished. And so her fear is is that someone has come and taken his body. So she runs and tells Peter and John, who is writing this book. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. By the way, um, just so you know, uh, John will then say that he ran to the tomb faster than Peter, because as a guy, you got to make sure you say that you're a little bit better than that, right? He does that. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw linen cloths lying there. That's why Brett put those on there. Saw linen cloths lying there. If you read in other scriptures, it says that when Joseph and Nicodemus take the body down, this is an interesting fact, that Nicodemus bought 75 pounds of burial spice. Now that might be like, okay, what does that mean? That is the amount that you would use to bury a king. That is the amount you would use to bury a king. How do you guys remember making paper mache when you were young, when you were in school, paper mache? It's a lot like what you would do to embalm a body. You take cloth, you take these burial spices, and then you wrap it in the cloths. You keep wrapping, and basically what you're doing is as you wrap, these burial spices harden. And so you have, a, again, a form that has been wrapped and wrapped with all these spices. By the way, 75 pounds. So it's significant that John says these words. Then Simon Peter and the following him went into the tomb and he saw linen cloths lying there. They see the cloths. By the way, if you were wrapped in 75 pounds of gauze and, uh, and, and spices, you're not getting out of that too quickly. But they find basically an empty shell. I love this next line. And a face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up up by itself. I'm not telling you whether or not I know this is fully true. I just was told this when I was in high school, that a Jewish man, when he would leave the table to say that he was coming back, would take his cloth and fold it up and place it down. 
and the face cloth with which he had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a, in, a pla- in a place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They're still in this place. They can't put all the pieces together. His body is gone. The tomb is empty. They see the clods. They see this, but they're, they're believing, but they don't know what to do with it. Scripture says they leave. Jump down to verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Now she's like us. She's looking through and she sees what we see, just a slab with cloth on it. But then God lets her see something more. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. She doesn't understand. She is, she is emotional. She says, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary is in this moment. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what I think is significant. Both Peter and John, one of the type three, Peter, James, and John, type three, come to the tomb. They leave. Jesus doesn't show himself to Peter and to John. Jesus shows himself to Mary. Why? First of all, I think he is doing something significant for womankind. In the day and age, this is the reality of the day and age, in the day and age, a woman was not even allowed to testify in court. And yet the first person to see him alive is Mary of Magdalene. And I think that what's happening is, is that he is saying to her of her value. But I love this next line. He has spoken to her, but look what it says. It says, Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher or rabbi. Listen, isn't it interesting? Have you ever noticed how the mom of your kid or the, or the dad of your kid sounds different than the mom and dad of all the other hundred kids that are saying mom and dad? Have you ever had that phraseology? I mean, it's weird. I've been with this group of kids. You hear mom, 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 and you don't look up until you hear the mom or the dad that sounds like the one that's yours. Then all of a sudden you go, what? Right? See, Mary had been with him, and when, she, when he said her name, all of a sudden she knew exactly who it was. I can hear my dad say my name, and he doesn't sound like anyone else when he says my name. And as soon as she hears her name, she knows exactly, exactly that it's Jesus, and calls him teacher, and calls him teacher. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. He goes back, she goes, look, look, look what the connection's happening. It just wasn't an empty tomb. They didn't just take his body. I saw him. I have seen him. 
just like he said. By the way, we started this story early in the morning on Sunday morning. That's when Mary, before dawn, goes to the tomb. In verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were so afraid of what the Jews were going to do. I mean, the Jews handed over Jesus to be crucified. What could happen to them next? They've heard. Mary has said that I've seen him, but they're just in this process of just what could this be? What could all of this look like? And he says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. I love that he turns right around and goes, by the way, it's time for us to get busy. Your job is to go tell people that I did exactly all those things that I talked about. I said that it'd be my blood that would cover them. I shed my blood. It would be me rising from the dead that would give them the hope of eternal life. You need to go tell my story. And he is emboldening them, these fearful Jews, these fearful men, these disciples who are so scared. He's saying, no, 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 I'm going to be sending you. And by the way, we see from this moment them getting stronger and stronger and more courage and more courage. By the time we get to Pentecost, they are preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, saying that he is the resurrection and the life and that he is all that we've talked about because they are looking at an empty tomb. They are looking at an empty tomb and realizing that he did what he said. He came through as he said that he would. Because here's the reality. He came for us who feel empty. The book of Haggai, I know that most of you are like, yes, I hope Jeff preaches out of the book of Haggai on Easter Sunday. You have your wish. Here we go. Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Watch this. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. I feel like that just describes so many people that I've talked to. There's not enough. Yeah, you eat a meal, but you're going to be hungry tomorrow. Yeah, you have a job, but it feels like the money just goes. Yeah, you feel like you have the clothes, but, but, but really, does it make you feel happy? And again, I believe that Haggai is talking about the emptiness that we feel. Because we were never created to have those things fulfill us, ever. And I believe that Haggai is really speaking to what God wants to say to us. Luke 12, 15, and he said to them, Take care, all, be on your guard against all covetous, means greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The world will tell you that if you get more stuff, if you get more things, if you have all this stuff, it's going to make you happy. But I keep running into people who I think have that, and they're not happy. Because that's not what's making them full. 
It's not doing what it's presenting itself to do. Because again, we weren't created for that kind of, to be full in that way. This is us. We've all been there. You get the chocolate bunny. Like, yes, and you bite it. Ah, it's hollow. And then the opposite is true. If you ever get one that's really full, it's too much because you bite it and think it is hollow. And you're like, oh my gosh, too much chocolate. Someone like, grabbed me outside his first service and said, there's never too much chocolate. I go, you have a problem. So, uh, <laughs> but I want you to never see the Easter chocolate bunny ever again because I think it represents a lot of people. They feel empty inside. Because here's the interesting part for us is that if we think that the things outside of us are going to fulfill us and it's not him, then we will always feel empty. I think that is intriguing. Let me just say this. Jesus says these words. If you drink of this water, you'll be what? Thirsty again. But if you drink of me, you will never thirst. If you eat of this food, you will be hungry again, but if you eat of me, you will be satisfied. See, here's what I want you to understand. I will only find my fullness in him. And yes, I can have other things that I find enjoyment, like my family or other things, but my fullness, first of all, comes from him. Your spouse is not going to be the one that fulfills you. Your job is not going to be the thing that fulfills you. It is not going to be the new car. It's not going to be the new thing. None of those things are meant to. It is him and him alone. And he goes, I want you to be full. I want you to be full. Because we feel so much emptiness. John 1.16, I love this. From his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. From his fullness. See, because of his fullness, I get grace upon grace. Meaning this, that when I mess up, he goes, no, I have grace for you, Jeff. But, but, but I'm less than. No, I have grace. I have grace for you. But I've blown it. Yes, but I have grace for you, but I don't think I can make it. I am here with you. Out of my fullness, I will continue to keep giving to you. But we keep thinking that this other stuff is going to do it, and it won't. And we waste time with it. For from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Yes, this is the key verse for Cedars. You've all heard it. If you've been here anytime, we read this all the time. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. See, the purpose of the staff, the purpose of all those people, the apostles, the teachers, we want to equip you to do ministry. Why? There is something powerful when you begin to work into your strengths of who God has called you to be. He fills you. So let me show you this. I want you to see something. It's this. It's this comma. Let me read to you with this comma. To equip the saints for works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, comma, watch, until... We all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
See, as I get to know him, that's what it's saying, my knowledge of him, as I have unity of the faith, then what happens is I become full. I don't get full by what I do. I get full as I get to know him. I get full when I'm doing what he would have me do. I get full. And again, I want you to, the fullness of Christ. And I've met people of all economic standards, of all cultures, and you meet them and you go, you're full. I don't say that to them. That would sound odd. But in my heart, I look at them and I go, you're full. Because you can watch someone who has felt like they're full in Christ. They don't need any of this other stuff. They're full. Because they're in their ministry. They're in their place. And they're not letting the things of this earth be the things that satisfy them. They use them as tools. And they use them to do the things they're supposed to do. But they're not who they are. Who they are is they found their maturity and their manhood in Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, by that word, that word rich, you can use this idea of fullness, complete. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He left glory, he left heaven, came down to become like us, by the way, to wash the feet of his creation, to let his creation beat on him and spit on him and nail him to the cross. He became poor. He became with nothing, watch this, so that you, by his poverty, by that action of letting that world do that to him, might become rich, full, fulfilled. See, he was willing to leave that to become this so that you could have this. So we stand on the heart of the empty tomb. We, we just look in. We, we do what they did. They look in and we go, he's not there. And that changes everything. Because it is him who comes and says, now I want you for eternity. And I want you to be full. 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, chapter 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at this. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. Because the grave is empty. Because the tomb is empty, I have hope. I have hope in all that he said and all that he's done. And he says, if you will do this, you, you understand the resurrection, you can have life. Look what he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Have you guys ever noticed that they will sell the stuff called sun-resistant or sun? They'll even say this, furniture that sun can't bother but you end up buying more of that furniture later? Because you put it out there, and I'm telling you what, they underestimate the power of the sun. Does that make sense? This will not fade. This, this is sunproof fabric for about a season. Have you also known the power of water? How many of you guys are what I call soakers? Meaning that when you do the dishes, and you really don't want to scrub the pot, you just fill it with water and you leave it till the next day. Who, who, any other soakers? Any other soakers in the room? God bless you. God bless Yes, thank you. God bless you. I'm always blown away by water and its power. Does that make sense? 
Because I'm always blown away by the next morning, right? It's awesome. Because here's the thing about this world. Water will still carve canyons, and the sun will still fade, right? All the things. But look what it says. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That is what we get, by the way, kept in heaven for you. You get now and in heaven that which is not going to go away. That is the fullness of Christ. So let me share this with you. This is how I'll end. Um, uh, there's somewhere in the room that I got to take a trip to Israel with. It was an incredible experience. Um, they're over there. Um, one of the things that was surprising to me, we got to go to what they call the garden, uh, the garden tomb area. And um, um, in my personal opinion, this is me, I do believe that is a burial place of Christ for some reasons um, that I've even looked on my own and done my own research. But it was so intriguing. I was ready. We, we, they kind of put us in these bleachers, and we're sitting in this spot, and we can see the tomb. We can see the place that they consider Golgotha, and we're just kind of sitting there. And I was waiting for this lady to give us—by the way, it was interesting. We're in Israel, but she was from, like, Illinois or something. She was just this nice little lady, and her job was to—this was her ministry. So I thought that her job was going to be to convince me that this was the garden tomb area. Like, you know what I'm saying? She was going to give me all this evidence. Was blown away by what she said. Blown away. She comes out and she goes, we are so glad that you are here. Yes, we're showing you this. And yes, we'll let you go in and see what we think possibly could be. She goes, but then, she, then she turned the whole thing and she goes, but listen to me. We really don't care if that's the tomb. That's not what's important to us. Because this is what we know. We don't have a God who's in a tomb. And you shouldn't be here to worship a tomb. We have a God who is alive and has risen again. And by the way can reside in your heart. And she shared the gospel. Listen to me. I love that Brett did this. But folks, we come not to look into an empty tomb. We come to look to a risen Lord who had power over death and left an empty tomb behind to say, I have victory. And I want you to be full. I want you to be full, not with what this world offers, but to be full with what he offers, not for just now, but for eternity. And by the way, to have life and have it to the full as you live because you're getting your fullness from him and not from the things of this world. I stand before you as someone who I believe walked in and stooped in and saw an empty tomb, and I'm telling you, listen to me, he's not there. He's not there. He is risen. And because of that, everything changes on that truth. On that truth. And today, I believe, I believe there's a God who is saying every one of your names and may you hear his voice and turn to him and say, teacher, fill me. Fill me up. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm in awe that you would love us so much that, yes, that you would die, that you would go through that, that you would take the mocking of man, that you would allow my sin to drive you into the depths of the earth, but that you have power over death. 
there's no victory in it. And you raised to say, Jeff, find your fullness in me. I left an empty tomb so that you could be full. I left an empty tomb so that you could have life to the full. I left an empty tomb so that you can have hope for eternity. Because if he doesn't raise, all of this is for nothing. But you did raise. And the tomb is empty. And there's nothing there but some cloth. Nothing there that we should be excited back to go look at because, Father, we have you before us. I don't need to go back and look at a monument of a day gone by. I have you in my presence now. I have your spirit now. I have your word now. And I have you now. Fill us up. For so many of us are so empty. We need you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're aware, um, as always, communion is available for you. Uh, During these songs, as you feel comfortable, as you feel led, come, take the bread, take the cup. You can take it back to your seat. You can have your own time of prayer. You can do it right up here. It's your call. But we just wanted to give you the opportunity to celebrate what he did on the cross and the resurrection of what that looks like. The prayer wall is open. If you have something that you want the staff and the elders to be praying about, go over there, fill that out, put there. We will be praying for you this week. We're going to be, let me tell you something. This worship set is all about praising him for what he has done on the cross and raising again. I hope that you will sing out. I want to hear this room give glory to the God who has done so much to give us fullness of life. It has been great to be with you. Happy Easter. God bless you. By the way, come back next week. Download the the app so you're ready to go. And just so you're aware, we have a lot of people being baptized on May 5th. It's going to be an exciting time. Come back. Come join with us. We'd love to be a part of your journey as God fills you up. Stand with us, if you will.